Today we're going to talk about legalists. That's a quite a right-hand turn. Uh, sudden, like, we're talking about celebration and God's so good. Now, legalists. Uh, aren't legalists the worst? Uh, they just are, you know. Um, you know the type of person who's just always judging others, um, always kind of creating rules, uh, and then inviting other people, even kind of demanding other people follow those rules. Um, people who believe that they alone kind of carry that ability to follow things well, to follow these imaginary rules, and they believe that even if you don't follow those rules, you should want to follow those rules. Because like, that's, that's like what a legalist is all about. Um, they think everyone should want to do what they're doing. And if you don't, you're, there's something wrong with you. Uh, so yeah, this morning we're talking about legalists, uh, of which one I'm, I'm probably one. So I'm probably a legalist just as I described. And, uh, just to be super bold, so are you. Uh, the person I just described who just creates rules and wants other people to do them, you're, you're also one of them. Uh, I think that our hearts are like a Continental Congress or the House of Representatives uh, from way back when, not currently, who just, just like daily churning out new laws, like every day writing a new law. The human heart is doing that. Um, pumping something out every day that people should follow. And then if they don't, they're clearly not okay. Um, and everyone should try to follow the rules that you follow. Um, my senior year of college, I was nominated for a really big award during homecoming uh, called the Most Servant-like Award. Yeah, it was cute. It was a big deal. Uh, my mom won the award when she was at that same college years before, but it was called Most Popular. Uh, but then it was a Christian university, so they thought, that's not okay. Only Jesus should be popular. So let's say, who's the most servant-like? Uh, and I was nominated. And I would love to say that I was flattered by that nomination, but honestly, I was expecting it as a senior. Uh, I had led a, a mission trip to Portugal, uh, there was a massive ice storm once, and I organized uh, 70 students to drive there and help rebuild these people's homes and move trees, and we like served for several days, and, and I was kind of like the main person who, you know, organized all that. Uh, I helped start and lead a ministry with fellow students that had hundreds of people coming uh, to worship Jesus, and we had these little Bible studies in these homes, and, and most Saturdays, those people and this thing that I was leading were painting poor people's homes. It was awesome. Uh, and then every Thursday, before our little worship gathering thing that we did, we would also feed people who couldn't at Salvation Army. And that was, you know, like kind of one of my things, most servant-like. Uh, <laughs> there's so many things here. Uh, I... <laughs> I spoke at chapel once a semester. That's when all the kids were forced to like, listen to someone talk. Uh, I led a, an organization. I'd forgotten about this one, and then my, my mind reminded me. I led this organization where over one week in time, we raised $15,000 and built 15 wells uh, in Africa so that people uh, could drink clean water. 
I know. Uh, I had a car, a Saturn View. I gave people rides, and I wasn't one of those people who gives someone a ride in college and then is hounding someone for gas money. Like, I wasn't that kind of person. Mostly, I think if there was Venmo back then, I would have, but it's, it was so hard to get money from people. It's like they had to go to, but I wasn't that kind of person. Uh, in fact, if I had extra money, I, for real, I would share it with my friends. Um, my senior year, when most of my friends rented an RV and went on this big road trip to Florida, uh, I went to Houston, Texas, where my friend had just had open heart surgery, and I sat there with him and his parents, who always fought, in the hospital. And I was like, I, the whole time, I was like, God, my friends are in Florida, but I am here with Colt, whose heart was literally ripped open. I am such a good friend. Uh, and uh, there's probably more, but for the most part, uh, I did all of that with a smile on my face, uh, and I made good grades, and, and I didn't drink too much uh, or smoke too much. Uh, I didn't cuss too much, uh, based on my own line that I had drawn. Uh, in my heart, I was most servant-like. I mean, I thought that was a, I mean, I was not surprised that they nominated me for that. And I actually, I got this suit uh, because you had to dress up nice. It was a big banquet. Uh, they took pictures of you. They had, uh, it was really cool just to be nominated, but I was like, I wasn't here just to be nominated. I was here to win that award. Uh, we all, uh, you kind of get paraded past alumni and like fellow student bodies, and you're just standing there on the stage. It's just like a beauty pageant. Uh, and when they called the name of who was going to win, instead of my name, they called up uh, this guy, Prophet Bailey, who was a humble track star. Uh, he had won multiple national championships. He was pretty incredible. And what we didn't all know is that he was, in the end, super servant-like. He just wasn't uh, cocky about it, like I was. <laughs> but I couldn't believe it. I, like, I, just, I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. Uh, it was like one of those things where I was like, what? Someone besides me won this award? Don't they know my resume? Don't people see it? Like, I'm a good person. Uh, maybe that's not you, and you feel like you're a bad person. But I think, like, most of us kind of feel like we're, we're playing by our own rules, and we're doing pretty good at it. Uh, even if there are rules that we don't quite meet that society puts on us, we just sort of say, well, those rules are bad anyway. Those are trashy rules. I've got my own rules where I'm a more independent, free-spirited person, and so I'm living well. Uh, we are legalists, um, shocked when we don't get the recognition for being the good people that we think we are. Uh, this passage in Mark, Mark chapter 7, is a big shift. Um, Mark even just uses this big, you know, it's like comparison word. Jesus is super popular with all these people, and then it kind of shifts towards the people that he's not popular with. And that's, that's the legalist. And in this, uh, I think we kind of learn four characteristics of what a legalist is like. And so I'm going to read the passage. It's uh, Mark chapter 7, and then we'll talk about it for a little bit. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, 
that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they wash. And there were many traditions that they observed, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have, would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things that you do. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then you are also without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way, your demon, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Legalists. Uh, the, the, first, the first thing that you see uh, is this really big debate about washing their hands before they eat. And I want us to all understand that that to us makes tons of sense, like you should wash your hands before you eat. Like That seems like a pretty good question. These are also guys who had just a few uh, days earlier been ha handing out bread you know, to dozens of people, thousands of people. Hopefully, did they wash their hands, did they put on plastic gloves, that sort of thing. Uh, what, the, what these Pharisees are describing is not a sanitary washing. The idea that was that 
uh, that came from kind of this old tradition was that, that the world is very corrupt. Everything that you do, when you go to the marketplace, when you go to work, when you get in your car, all of it is corrupt and broken and sinful. And so if you touch any of those things, you become an unclean person. And if you're unclean, unholy, like a defiled person, then you have to go through some sort of ceremonial washing so that then you can consume again. Because if you are a defiled person and then you touch bread and then you eat that bread, then that bread becomes defiled and unclean as well. And then now that's in you and you're now bad from the inside out. Uh, I know that does not make that much sense to us. Like that's not our worldview at all. But essentially what they're saying is, to be a good person, you need to do the right things. Being a good person is either what you do or what you don't do. You, you either wash or you don't wash. And then they kind of allude to, why don't they walk according to the traditions of the elders? Why don't they do these things? It's something that I think uh, that kind of phrase uh, comes up regularly, I think, in our lives or in our minds and our hearts with other people. Why don't they do the right thing? Why do they keep doing the wrong thing? Or I think the, one of the best ways that you kind of see this worked out in your own life is whenever someone questions you or your worth or something like that, you might say back, but I don't do this. Um, you know, if you want to use my story, you know, but I don't cuss too much. Uh, some of you have heard me cuss, and I apologize. But I don't do these things that are so bad. Or when you defend yourself, you would say, but I always do this. You know, I always do the right thing. These, these people had established kind of rules that if you do them, you become well. And they're all kind of based off this really uh, true reality of the world's a really messed up place, and we're interacting with it all the time. How do we become good after that? It's a good question, but their solution is make sure people do a whole lot more than what's required. Now, the second thing that, you, that, that Jesus brings up is that they used to do this thing around what they would say or not say. Uh, so the Bible, the Old Testament, one of the commands, uh, one of the, the top ten commands, uh, is that you honor your father and mother, that you take care of them, that it's not just, hey, mom and dad, I really appreciate you, but it's a real, like, no, I will care for my parents. My parents are my responsibility. But uh, they had this way of where you could get out of it. All you had to do is at some point in time say these words kind of out loud uh, and you would, you would say, everything that I've received my, from my parents is a gift from God, korban. And then you're absolved from all responsibility of taking care of your family. It's like uh, in the office, which was, you know, we're all watching it every night, when uh, there's an episode where Michael Scott realizes that he has no money and so then he just shouts out loud, I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> That's what they were doing, basically. All you had to do was at some point say out loud, and you were absolved from it. 
which sounds kind of ridiculous maybe to us. But I think for us, there's often, if we say these words, we're good. If we don't say these other words, then we're also good. And anyone who says the words that you're not supposed to say is a bad person. And anyone who doesn't say the words that you're supposed to say is also a bad person. I, I know you guys have gone to human resources classes and stuff like that, maybe in your work. It's full of that sort of thing, right? Just for the sake of time, we're going to just keep plowing ahead because you guys shared so many good things. The next thing is about what you consume or what you don't consume. What you eat or what you don't eat makes you a good person. And they had uh, believed and received that if you eat, there's a whole list of dietary restrictions. And if you eat anything that's restricted, you're, you're putting inside of yourself badness, and now you are bad. And then Jesus, to them, says, well, that's, that's not the case. But I think that for us, it's not about pork or shellfish or... Uh, honey inside of a dead bear or something crazy like that. And maybe for you, it is actually, if you eat that kind of food, you're a bad person. We've uh, unintentionally trained uh, our children that, that McDonald's itself is bad and evil and wicked. And if you eat from there, you're bad. One day, uh, my parents came home from the house and they had McDonald's cups and Nora was like, how could you do such a thing? <laughs> What she doesn't know is that Coca-Cola from McDonald's is the greatest Coca-Cola <laughs> there ever has been. I don't know what they're putting in it. It's probably the same stuff they're putting in the fries. <laughs> and maybe it's not food for you or for your world, but I think there's a, a whole list of things. Um, I'm a good person. I always purchase my stuff from that store. I'm a good person. I don't purchase or, or consume stuff that's, that's from plastic. My stuff is from glass or porcelain or whatever it might be. I don't, I don't consume that food. I don't buy stuff from that company. I've, you know, blocked those people out. I don't uh, subscribe to that uh, streaming service like I have through my own decisions. The things that I consume make me a good and pure person. That's uh, the third one. And then the fourth one, uh, Jesus is confronting through this riddle and this question that he asks this Greek lady, uh, the idea that you're a good person based on where you're from. For them, they believed that only Jewish people could be good, them and them alone. They were the blessed people and only them could be blessed. They were the, the, the good people, the chosen people, the blessed people. They're it. They're the whole thing. And we, I think, look at that and say, that's shocking. I would never be that kind of person, you know? They might be those people. This is how you know that you might be one of those people. You ready for it? Like, I'm not one of those people. I'm not from the South or from one of those red states where people believe that. I'm a good person. Did you see? Some of you did. Miles, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we say, well, if you're from those places, you're clearly a bad person. You know, like, uh, you're probably, maybe you could be good, but if you're from the South 
or if you're from the Midwest, or if you're from one of those places that I don't agree with, you're probably a bad person. That happened, I mean, I think that's the assumption all around town. I think some of our friends from Mississippi have like morphed their accents in incredible leaps and bounds so as to not be perceived as a bad person just for the way that they sound. Like, isn't, is that, am I making that up? No. no. <laughs> Luckily, that's changing. Luckily, it's changing? Yeah. yeah. I don't know, because if, if you ever want to have like a guy on TV who's not super bright and is ignorant, you give them an accent, right? Like, that's what we do. And I think that it's a, it's a big, deep part of our culture. Like, my grandparents as well are like, I mean, how is it out there in California with those Californians? <laughs> because where you are defines how good you are. And then even from within our own areas, we can segment and decide, well, I live in this neighborhood where, these, where my kids go to these schools. I'm a little bit better of a person, right? Just based on where you are and what your zip code says. Those are the four like, levels of legalism. That's what, you, uh, that's what it takes to be a good legalist. Define people by what they do, define people by what they say, define people by what they consume, and then define people by where they're from. And then we somehow get to decide who's good or who's bad, and usually we're the ones who fit nice and neatly into the good side. The Pharisees, um, believe it or not, they're kind of the villains of all the Gospels, were super well-intentioned. They uh, saw their country, their people, had been really uh, distant, rebellious, awful towards God. The whole commands that God had given them, they didn't follow. Uh, they didn't care for the poor and the vulnerable. They didn't care for women and the oppressed. They didn't care for anybody or anything except for themselves. They worshipped all sorts of other things that destroyed themselves and destroyed other people. Like, that was who they were as a people. And then they were all exiled and scattered, and they began to read the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, where they found out that God all along had been calling them to be his people to remember who they are, and to walk in his ways. And so when uh, all of the, the exile ended and they all came back together in the country, they decided, we're never going to do that again. We're going to be really good people now. We're not going to let us return to all of that brokenness. We're just going to be as great as we can. And then on top of that, they believed that if they were good, and if they were good enough, then God would come and do something miraculous. That God was just waiting for them and for their people to finally get serious about worshiping him, and then the world would be made right completely. And so those were the stakes. And so they thought, well, if it's good to not eat that stuff, let's add more stuff to it. If it's good to not say that stuff, let's, say, let's add more things that we shouldn't say. All kind of designed to make sure that people loved God and loved one another. I think that's how legalism is actually deceptive. They lived to actually see the world change. They wanted to be good. 
And they kind of set up this society where it built up the ones who did it right, and it kind of punished the people who didn't do it right. And they kind of lived in this constant state of trying to see if someone fell or someone messed up so that they could be there to point it out to them so that then they could be good again. Kind of like Facebook. They would make exceptions when it seemed like, man, this is just getting a little too hard. Can we really obligate people to do that? Well, let's make a little slide-around rule for them. They tried to use fear. They tried to use bonuses. They tried to use all of these things to make people good. But by trying to be good, uh, it never solved it. They kept having to come up with new rules. Uh, way back in the day, um, they used to have vending machines that sold cigarettes. Uh, and uh, did anyone have a cigarette vending machine in their home? Yeah, <laughs> no, not their home. But I remember there was a vivid one in this Mexican restaurant that we went to. It was really funny because if a vending machine ran out of one type of cigarettes, you know, if you shut that down, there'd be another button to push. Um, and uh, this is a great example. So good, if I can remember it. <laughs> uh, and what, it's a cigarette vending machine. You push a button to get cigarettes out. I think what we do with the laws is we say, hey, we're not going to buy those cigarettes anymore. But then all we do is go to another button and push that one instead. We put another a bunch of money in and we pull it out. You can say, oh, you know what? New rule. I'm never watching uh, bad movies ever again. Instead, I'm going to watch uh, really bad TV shows. Okay, I'm never going to watch any other bad TV shows again. Instead, I'm going to just read bad books. Okay, I'm not, like that's how we function, because our hearts are bad. And that's essentially what Jesus says about all of this. He says it's not about your outsides, it's about your insides. It's about what's inside of your heart. The heart is the soil for where all your actions and all your attitudes, where all of that comes from. He says, you can be uh, honoring me with your lips, but your heart can be far from me. It's about what's inside of you, not what's coming out or what you're putting in. And then he describes that what comes out of you actually just tells us what's inside. He makes this long list of things that come out of us. Slander, murder, coveting, wickedness, deceit, foolishness, on and on and on, pride. And he's saying all that is doing is just showing us what's actually on the inside. You have a problem with the insides of you. And then with the, the Greek woman who comes to him and who sits down and she asks him to heal her daughter. She becomes the, the first person who experiences this reality that Jesus says the kingdom of God doesn't just come to Jewish people, it goes to every person. Or as Paul will summarize in Romans 1, uh, the gospel is the power of God to save, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He asks her a riddle basically saying, look, these are my children. They need to be fed first. Should I not give them bread? Instead, give a little puppy bread. And her answer is, 
Yes, but even the puppies get to eat. And Jesus says, that's exactly right. It's not about where you're from. It's about where the kingdom of God has come and has come to you. It's come to the reaches of every human heart. See, as Jesus sort of describes all this, he says legalism's problem uh, isn't so much that it's fixated on sin. It isn't, it's that it's fixated on the behaviors only. Legalism is just focused, zeroed in on what people do. In fact, what I think Jesus is saying here is that legalists don't actually take sin serious enough. They don't look deep enough. All of the rules and all of that stuff is just sort of operates as this superficial way of putting paint on something that's rotten underneath. Uh, I didn't understand how rust worked for a really long time, and I just kept trying to spray paint stuff. And it would go away, right? It doesn't. It just keeps coming back, and you just keep adding more and more paint on it. Jesus is saying it's so much deeper than you think. He's saying not only are you a legalist, you're also not well. You're sick on the inside. Your biggest problem isn't that you need to change your behaviors. It's underneath. All of that is not good. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus says that you matter. He says, I see you most clearly. I guess Jesus in this situation is seeing people so clearly. He sees exactly what we are. Everyone in the story, he knows exactly who they are and what they're doing and what's messed up about them. And he says, I'm coming for you anyway. He says, I know the depths of your issues and they are profound because all this stuff is coming out of you. There must be something really rotten inside of you. But I've set eternity on a course that ends in your redemption and it begins with my death. See, Jesus' presence is not condemnation for the legalists and the free-spirited. He's not here in these verses saying, guys, stop making up new rules. He's saying, my presence is how I'm going to transform your lives. Jesus is the one who's good, the one singular good. And he dies to declare you good. That is the good news. So much has been written throughout the whole New Testament that it's through his death and it's his goodness and his resurrection that you are not just raised to being average, but you're raised to being right and good. Jesus is the one good who raises you again, not with the wicked heart, but with a heart that's alive, a heart that's soft and close to God. Jesus is the one singular good. Not only does he die or raise again and give you a new heart, he gives you his spirit within you to do all of the work and the will within you to transform your life. Jesus is the one good who adopts you into a family instantly, a family of people who say, me too, my heart is also in need of transformation. Jesus is the one good. He is the power of God to save the legalists 
and the prideful and the deceitful and the fool. He comes to save all of us, to the Jewish people first and then to everyone else. So we do not have to be ashamed in the gospel, but we get to boast in the fact that Jesus is all that. That he could see us underneath all of our attempts to make ourselves look good and see our true souls and still say, I want them, I'm coming for them, I love them, I will do whatever it takes. That's freedom in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, your presence here with us this morning. Um, Jesus, you are very good. And we are in need of a transformation in our souls. Thank you that your death and your resurrection makes us good. And that is the only thing that can. We love you. Amen.